Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode 47 and we have Peter Webb joining the show. Peter is a sports and racing trader and founder of BetAngel, the prominent Betfair trading software. We discuss the evolution of trading as well as many of the thoughts and ideas Peter uses as a successful trader. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Betfair. Betfair operates a betting exchange and is licensed in the Northern Territory of Australia. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Please gamble responsibly. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and hope you enjoy my chat with Peter Webb. Today I'm joined by Peter Webb from Bet Angel. Peter, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for the invite. So Peter, a lot of Betfair traders out there and traders in general or just people involved in betting will already know who you are. Um, but for those who, who don't, do you mind just going through a brief background about you and I guess your involvement in the industry? Sure. I um, got involved in Betfair very early on. So um, I had a, a fairly normal career for many years and was always interested in, in betting and gambling and sports and, and all of those sort of things. And um, my inspiration actually was Ed Thorpe. I, I read Beat the Dealer many years before and I always had this inkling in the back of my mind that maybe one day, just one day, I would find a way to, to do the modern equivalent of beat the dealer. And uh, I left um, my normal career with three young children to make a living full-time on betting exchanges and joined Betfair about seven days after they opened for business. So I was one of the very first people to get involved in using exchanges. And out of that uh, was born BetAngel. So there were no tools available to do all the things that I really wanted to do. Um, so we, we created BetAngel off the back of that very early activity in the exchanges. So were you working at Betfair or were you just trying to trade on the very, very early stage of the market? Yeah, I think trying is the, is the operative word there. <laughs> Because uh, when, I, when I turned up at Betfair, it was uh, nothing like it is now, and exchanges had nothing like the liquidity that they had now. So my interest very early on with them, it, it, it was funny, actually, because the, the story I always remember was um, I was in my previous job, which, funny enough, was working for a German company. Not um, I was based in the UK, but used to run around Europe a lot. And... Betfair had just been born and all the exchanges were around and the first thing that I did was started arbing between them and other uh, bookmakers and I got caught doing it in a meeting once and uh, got a right telling off from the managing director and I just remember at that point thinking well maybe I should be doing this a bit more seriously if I'm letting it interrupt work so yeah very 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 early on I, I started as an arbor and the ex exchanges were new. Nobody really figured out how they worked. The bookmakers weren't particularly worried about them. And there was quite a, a large opportunity to be had just through arbing, um, either directly or, or synthetically. And, um, and that's where I started. So uh, left 
what was a decent job, much to the horror of everybody. And but but I just sort of I just felt like an opportunity to me. I realized that, you know, many opportunities come and go. And this was probably one that I should get involved in. Looking back now, how was, I guess, your grounding in other areas, you know, financial markets and doing some other things before you got involved in the early stages of Betfair? Do you think that a lot of those things you picked up were critical? Because, you know, a fair few people now might start trading at a pretty young age and not have a, a decent career behind them before they get involved. Yeah, I think obviously the, the the thing that motivated me was I had always wanted to work for myself uh, and do something. It was just waiting for the right opportunity. I, I joined a Bay Area um, internet service provider uh, in 96, I think it was. Uh, but at, with hindsight, it was too early. So nobody had worked out what the internet was all about then. Um, and I was just turned up too early. And lo and behold, that operation failed. Um, just before the dot-com boom started. So uh, if I would have been able to hang on for another three years, I may not have had this conversation with you. Um, but I always had this inkling that I wanted to do my own thing. It was just waiting for the right opportunity. So my experience prior to doing this had led me to that point. Whereas I think if you come in from it completely cold, um, then you're probably going to be in for a bit of a shock. So I think having the desire... Uh, to do that was the thing that motivated me rather than thinking through that it was necessarily a good career move. I just wanted to do something other than working for somebody else. And I also wanted uh, to do something pretty new and unique that people hadn't done before. So I felt that that was the opportunity that it gave me. So transitioning across from working for the man, let's say, to to working for yourself and trying to be a successful trader – did you think you needed to know and understand sports to be a successful trader back then? Or were you happy to engage in any market and treat it in and of itself as a trading platform for you? Well, my first inkling on exchanges was, as, as I mentioned, was Arbing. Um, so I did that straight away. And that seemed a pretty logical approach to me because it seemed relatively risk-free and straightforward. But I, I had done work on football in the mid-80s. I just took a shine to trying to work out what the chance of a goal being scored was and how that influenced the outcome. And I came up with a little model on how a football match works. So I immediately, on the exchange, started pricing up football matches and, and providing liquidity uh, on football matches. So I think having knowledge of a sport is helpful. But when I joined the exchanges, I looked at horse racing, which was already doing substantial turnover. And I thought, well, I've got to get involved in it. But I knew nothing of racing at all. It was a, a complete mystery to me. So I had to come up with another method of, of participating in that. And that's when I felt that um, I should trade it. And I drew on my experience from financial markets because I felt I was going to do financial markets full time. That was going to be the thing that took me out of a normal career. Um, and, and lo and behold, when Betfair came along and racing and I started trading racing, I figured out actually that was that was the thing I was waiting for. That was the, the one thing um, that was meant for me. So I had no knowledge of racing, uh, but that didn't stop me from being able to profit from it. So when you say you're trading, are you only ever trying to match either side to have a small profit? Are you ever taking a position um, you know, some of the language like stop losses and things like that, are you implementing all of those different financial techniques and just applying it to to Betfair and, and trading in sporting markets or racing markets? Yeah, predominantly my trading style um, is uh, to be a, a pure, proper trader in that I do 
make um, uh, pricing and stuff for individual markets, but that's more from the perspective of trying to understand where true value is and where the market is likely uh, to be headed. Uh, it's much harder on racing than on other sports. But typically, the approach that I have is to trade in and out of positions um, or create positions that will profit at some point in the future. But primarily, it is a, is a two-way thing. I will basically... Uh, trade in at some point and I aim to trade out and especially on the racing I'm always looking to trade in and out of the market in that 10 minutes before the off and as soon as the race starts I'm on to the next market and sometimes I watch it but generally I don't I'll just switch to the next market and start trading that one so how has Betfair and trading itself evolved from the beginning and I know it's probably a, a long drawn out question but in the beginning, he couldn't have said, you know, I don't care who wins. I'm just going to trade in and trade out and, and move on to the next one. And I want to win a certain amount or a certain percentage. How has that sort of mentality of trading and being able to trade on a widespread basis evolved uh, based on your experience? Well, I think when I first started trading, I wasn't sure and I wasn't convinced um, at how long the opportunity would last. So I felt like I was exploiting something. So I knew from my previous experience with bookmakers is if I was a consistent winner, they probably wouldn't like me. So I sort of looked at the exchanges, wonder whether that would be the case or whether the opportunity would, would last very long. So I worked furiously hard when I decided to, to do this full time on the basis that I would probably have about three years before the opportunity disappeared. Um, but lo and behold, here I am 18 years later, nearly 20 years later, doing more or less the same thing. And the big difference between then and now is that the markets are much bigger, much more diverse. There are more of them. And individual sports um, achieve significant turnover. So I think the market's got more competitive, but the range of opportunities is much bigger now. There, there seem to be niches for everybody. So why did you think you might only be able to do it for three years? Did you think the market may not uh, it might collapse? Or did you think that you'd get kicked out because you're too successful? What was the motivation there? I think the initial thing, um, which was illogical it, it, with hindsight, was that maybe people would object to the fact that I was winning money. And um, I think illogically, I just assumed that if you win any decent sum of money, that that would be a problem. And as a consequence, I felt that probably my career was limited from that perspective. But in reality, you look at the role that traders play within the marketplace. Yes, they are trying to profit, but they do have to take risk. And ultimately, they're providing liquidity for people to bet into. So I was, I was wrong initially. And in fact, the market grew much bigger and wider than I, than I ever imagined. That's very interesting. So take us through, if you don't mind, the structure of the market. And obviously, there's traders involved in the, the Betfair marketplace, let's say. There's some, let's call them gamblers, those less sort of sophisticated or more just recreational. There's probably bookmakers in there as well. Take us through how you see the structure of a, of a Betfair market and I guess the different components to it. Yeah, well, going, going back to 2003, when Betfair was relatively new, they published a document uh, which is no longer available, which actually laid out in quite a lot of depth what the market looked like. Um, and um, it was interesting to look at it then and understand who the participants were. And there were quite a few traders. And, and traders were defined as people who take more than one position or they'll take a back and a lay position um, within the market. But back then, as is the case now, you get a small number of traders that provide a large amount of liquidity and then the rest of the market is sort of everybody else. You'll have backers and layers, 
you'll have people attempting to hedge positions in the market. Um, increasingly, in recent years, you've had people doing match betting, which by definition is arbing, that are participating in the market as well, which may appear as a backer or layer. But there's an interesting mix of all of that within the market nowadays. So very often you see the market, uh, it, it used to be the bookmakers drove the exchange market, but now it's really more the exchange market drives the bookmakers. If they take a large position that they don't want to have any liability on, they can hedge it into the exchange. And necessarily that may influence the price. So it's an interesting uh, mix up of many different types of activity within the market. And your role as a trader really is to see how that activity is influencing where the price is likely to go. So have you ever or do you ever consider yourself a reshaped bookie in that you've been given a platform to be able to to lay different horses? Obviously, your, your approach is trading, but do you think that's a, a reasonable argument? I think that um, when you, it's, if, you, if you adopt a, a strategy of being a bookmaker on an exchange, it's almost impossible, um, simply because the margins on the exchange are absolutely wafer, wafer thin. You can pretty much get to the stage where books are almost perfect. They're priced at pretty much close to 100%. And um, I think that if you attempted to look at the markets, probably the, the closest parallel, I would say, is spread betting on financial markets because you've got a similar subtype of range of people within the market, um, but you're not actually the market itself. If, if you're spread betting, you're trying to figure out whether IBM is going to go up or down or Facebook is going to go down when another news story breaks. And you're doing a very similar thing uh, with the sports markets. If, if you see a horse running loose, its price isn't going to get shorter. People will stop betting on it and people may actually lay it. So it's that, that process of anticipation, that I think, that is very different from any traditional role that you would see within a market. But, but typically traders provide a lot of liquidity they take a lot of risk um, and and operate generally on quite small margins so is it fair to say that even though there are some you know huge traders with huge volume and huge turnover there are plenty that aren't at that level and there are a lot of traders that will take on risk and will lose and, and ultimately it uh, it sort of all comes out in the wash yeah and, and and I think the definition of trading seems to have changed over a few years as well so I've always considered myself to be somebody that is a real trader, as it were, in that I'm taking positions and then liquidating positions and attempting to profit from that. Whereas I think very often the, the word trading gets muddled up with people that perhaps take a bet, but it's a little bit more complicated than normal. That seems to very often be described as trading, which doesn't resonate with me at all. I think that if you're opening and closing a position, that's a trade. But if you're carrying a position or adding to it or doing something beyond a, a certain point, then I think you're just taking a very sophisticated bet. Yeah, okay, just sort of repositioning and reshaping your position in that exact market? Yeah, and you know, the the old, um, I've, I've noticed on football, for example, people often do one activity, a goal goes in, and then they'll switch activity to something else. So that's sort of, you know, extending the bet, really, as opposed to actually trading the position. Interesting. You mentioned Arbing before. I'm just curious about what arbors uh, add to the marketplace? Are they also taking on risk? What is your sort of position on that? The, I, I suppose arbors are making the market more efficient. So um, when I first started on Betfair, the overround was very large, but it's collapsed in recent years to be absolutely tiny. 
to the point where viable betting strategies have come out of the woodwork. So because you're, you're backing or laying into a book that's close to 100%, that's throwing up all sorts of opportunities that I didn't even think about five to sort of seven years ago. And that's the result of people effectively arbing those positions and making the market more and more efficient. The competition's so great that it's actually opening up uh, more opportunities in more traditional types of patterns of behavior, uh, which is something I just hadn't particularly expected. On the broader question of Arbors, um, we, we have somebody within our team that used to work for a bookmaker. And the way that they used to balance their book was to create pricing that would attract Arbors, which was interesting, I thought. So I think that they do have a, a role to play in the market, but, but maybe just not the one that they think. Let's talk price. Unlike bookies and totes, the Betfair Exchange is a low-margin, buy-sell, fixed-odds marketplace where the value stays with the punter, not the house. Ready for the game within the game? Join betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. You mentioned before about predicting when a price will move. How do you personally go about doing this and what are some of the things you might be able to share with others who lose their mind trying to figure out where a market's going to go? Do you suggest that it's something that probably shouldn't do is there some tools that you have or, or things that people can be doing to try and get a handle on this better than they might have already yeah if, if you look at different markets they they'll behave in different ways and uh, produce different opportunities so trying to come up with a generic one-fits-all strategy that just generally works um, is something that's very very hard to do but if you change your strategy depending upon what you expect to occur or based upon differences within the market, then you'll perform much better. But also across different sports, you'll find different opportunities as well. So if we look at the uh, football match that took place last night, Liverpool v Man City, um, Sergio Aguero was out of the Man City side and the market started to react to that. The market started to discount that. So everybody had more or less the same information at more or less the same time. But some people were picking up on it quicker and taking a position based upon the fact that that would probably influence the odds within that particular market. Whereas if you look at racing, um, the racing markets, um, horse racing we're talking about here, are mainly driven by opinion. So it's your ability to interpret what people think that tends to drive the price within the racing market. So on one example, you've got a very concrete, specific uh, influence on the price and on the other one you're looking much more at uh, general market activity so when we've designed bet angel and upgraded it over the many years we've introduced more and more tools such as charting and um, more detailed information to allow people to just get a much better feel for the market and where the money is actually headed within that specific market so i want to switch gears a little bit do you have a grasp on the main reasons that you see why Betfair traders lose over time? Yeah, I think that if you look at the, the market from a general perspective, um, if you place, uh, if, if you imagine the market's um, a flip of a coin, half the people are going to win, half the people are going to lose. It's the, it's the same in pretty much any market. If you look at foreign exchange, if you look at um, all types of investment or trading activity, that's could be your core proposition, a coin flip, for example. But for example, if you look at foreign exchange or typical financial markets, there's quite a lot of transactional costs within there. So every time you flip that coin, you're losing a little bit of money to whoever is the middleman within that transaction. So the more that you do it, 
the more likely you are to lose. So in fact, part of the structure and the nature of trading is that not necessarily do you have to perform better than everybody else. You almost have to perform better than whatever uh, marginal cost there is within that particular market. So the advantage on exchanges is that that marginal cost is particularly low. However, it doesn't stop people from still losing money to the middleman. So I think a lot of people approach the market in a, too much of a simplistic way. They're, they're not trying to work out what their edge is. They're not perhaps focusing on what they're good at or what sports they prefer or where they feel they have some level of insight. Uh, instead, they're just trying to make money. They're looking at the value of the trade rather than the structure behind it. So I don't know if you have any sports that you're particularly uh, fond of, but it's very likely that if you have a sport that you have some knowledge of, then you'll probably perform better than others. But if you adopt a generic approach um, and you don't specialize in anything and you're not looking at a particular niche, then you probably will struggle over time. So how often do you update your approach or modify your just general strategy? And is it every day, every week, every year? How do how often do you go back and look at it and and tinker with things? I, I do it all of the time. I have a, uh, a mug on my desk that my children gave me because um, they only ever see the back of my head and a spreadsheet. And the, <laughs> and the, the mug says, I love spreadsheets. <laughs> so every market that I ever trade, I'll archive the data from, I'll look at it, see if I could have done better, understand if there's anything that's changed and adapt to my approach. So over the many years, I've tweaked and refined my approach uh, constantly uh, to be able to maintain an edge. And you sort of expect the markets to get more competitive over time. So being one step ahead of that, I think, is, is always important. So what's your path to profitability? Do you have a, a strategy in place? Are you looking at sort of a get rich slow mentality? Are you very low risk and just chipping away over time? What are your sort of thoughts on generally how you make an earn out of uh, trading on Betfair? I think you've, you've summarized it quite nicely there, actually, because I think I get rich slowly and, and chip away is probably more the philosophy that I prefer to have. So I'm happy to risk varying amounts of money if I think that the risk is appropriate. Um, however, saying that the risk is appropriate is very different from saying that you're likely to achieve a payoff because you expect to get a payoff over a very long period of time. Um, but the risk that you take will vary depending upon the market that you're looking at. But typically, I think most, if, if you want to summarize what I do most of the time is I'm trying not to lose money. I know that sounds a really strange way of, of trying to make money, but typically I'm trying to take positions that are, are less likely to get me into trouble at one point or another. And I'm trying to achieve the sort of uh, a, a profit at the lowest possible risk that I can. But the funny thing about doing that is very often you'll find that some of the best opportunities within the market come in the most least likely of places where people think you're absolutely crazy to be able to do anything. So, yeah, um, I, pref I much prefer to have small amounts adding up to much larger amounts um, and taking appropriate risk within those particular situations. So are you able to identify beforehand where you think you have the most edge or the most likely chance of, I guess, not losing money, to put it in your words? Or is that a sort of hindsight process where you review and, and analyze and, and then come back to it and realize that, okay, maybe if I had done this differently, it would have been a better position for me? I think that's actually a really good question and one that is, is, is worth a proper response because when you start trading, 
everything is going to be hindsight. You're going to do something and you're going to think, well, what the hell happened? Why did I lose money there? And when I first started trading on racing, that was the exact approach that I applied. I just went into the markets, threw a few orders in the market and just thought, well, that didn't work. Um, and then my approach the following day, the following week and month would be to try and strike out or eliminate those errors. And eventually what you'll find, and you can apply this to any market. So I've been working on the US Masters this morning and this, the same thing happens in every market that you trade. You go into it, you take a position, some of them work, some of them don't, and then you have to start separating out and realizing why one worked and why one didn't. And then you gradually over time move from having this hindsight uh, basis on which to look at exactly how you performed to being able to anticipate it. And I think all of the money that you'll ever make from trading will come from anticipating that something is about to happen. But the interesting thing is that when you look at the markets, uh, you begin to realize that there are repeating patterns and the same things happen again and again and again. But you have to start from somewhere. So I think that when you initially start out trading, you'll probably be thinking, well, that would have been a great trade if I would have actually done it. But as a consequence, I've lost money and therefore I'm not going to do that again. So you have to start from somewhere. And even I started from having lots of wonderful hindsight. But most of my trades now are anticipating that something's going to happen. So if I'm looking at a race that is taking place in the UK this evening, I could look at the market now and tell you roughly how I think it's going to trade and when that money will arrive and what it's likely to do. Um, but only when I arrive at that market will I be able to confirm if that view is correct. So I already know what I think it's going to do. But when I approach the market, I'll be looking at confirmation of that. How long did it take to get that sort of confidence level of being able to do that? Uh, another good question. The thing that people often ask me the same thing, saying, you know, going from nothing to being confident, how long does it take? I think one of the things that people underestimate in sport is seasonality. So different parts of the year will trade very differently depending upon uh, it, which market you're in. And one, this catches people out because you can be trading beautifully well and suddenly everything changes and you're thinking, oh no, I've lost my edge. It's all over. It was a bit of a pipe dream and I don't know why I even bothered starting. But uh, in fact, you realize that that's just part of the cycle. So on racing, you have two-year-old horses coming out in the early part of the flat season. And as the form lines develop, then the markets change their shape. Uh, whereas if there is no form line behind a horse, how do you know how it's going to perform and therefore what price should it be? So I think if you're starting out doing sports trading of any sort, you almost need to see that annual cycle through before you understand exactly what edge you have it took it when i first started of course i had no mentor no advice no knowledge of what was going on so it took me about 18 months to come to terms with that um, but even if you look at tennis of course we start in australia at the australian open and then it moves through asia and then we go into the european clay court season and then it ends on the hard court season in the us so even things like tennis which is a standard and uniform game have their own um, cycle of seasonality so if you don't mind me asking, what does your P&L look like? And I just, just, just generally, does it, uh, is it smooth? And I, I guess it's probably not. Just based on your sort of low risk, get rich, slow approach, how does it sort of come out in the, in the wash? The, well, one of the tricks, I think, to having a smooth P&L is to do as many markets as you possibly can. So if, if you have an edge and you can define that edge and you, and you know that it exists, then the more markets you trade, then the smoother that P&L becomes. But on an individual basis, it will bump up and down 
quite a bit. But the more markets you do, that begins to smooth and even it out. So if, if you go on my blog on the website, I have um, listed some uh, P&Ls at, at lower levels that show you how bumpy the P&L looks, but how over the course of a week, a month and a year, it all begins to even itself out. But the most important thing is ensuring that you have an edge of some sort, because if you do have that, you can trade more markets and your P&L becomes a little bit smoother. And psychologically, that becomes much easier to cope with. The Betfair Exchange isn't a house that sets the odds. It's betting at its purest. One punter's opinion against another's. Play the game within the game at betfair.com.au. Gamble responsibly. So when you find that you do have an edge or confidence or you're willing to take on a little bit more risk, will how do you go about doing that? Do you just have a, a higher volume on that and it's going to be the same style and strategy? It might just be a little bit extra money that you're putting in to the, to the getting in and then ultimately getting out? Or are you happy to potentially laying back in a little bit different way as opposed to just purely trading? Yeah, I, I forecast uh, market volume as well. So some people often um, uh, give, give me some stick on social media because I'm talking about individual volumes of markets and stuff like that. But it should give a, a, everybody a clue as to exactly what I'm looking at. And uh, if I think that the volumes on a particular event are going to be high, then my stake will go up. But if the volume is going to be relatively low, the fear that you always have as a trader is that if you use stakes that are too big, you accidentally influence the outcome of the trade. So it's not generally an issue for most people because if you're working at lower levels and trying to build to bigger totals, you tend to find um, that your stake size is not an issue. But when you try and operate at a bigger level, it, it does become an issue. So you tend to have to flex in and out of a market based upon the expected volume that you think the market will trade. So I've just been doing the US Masters this morning and I could use nice big stakes because that uh, reached a turnover of just short of 9 million uh, before first tee. But if you show me some tournament in two weeks' time, I probably won't even participate in it because there just won't be enough money and enough. If I put too much stake through it, I'm going to end up having to take poorer odds, which will influence the outcome. So it's not generally an issue for most people, I think. Um, but when you start operating at a larger level, you have to strike this really delicate balancing act between the amount of money you use and the outcome that you desire. Okay, so by definition, the World Cup final, for example, is probably going to be the highest volume match that you're going to do. What about if that match you don't see much of an edge or you don't think that necessarily that market's going to be a great outcome for you? What's your approach then? Yeah, I, and the World Cup should be huge this year. So um, when we, we're on a four-year cycle on sports and we peak uh, this year because of the World Cup on that particular cycle, your approach will change depending upon how you think the market's likely to behave. So at the moment, I have no idea who's going to be in that final and how that will influence the betting. But say, for example, England get into the final, there'll be loads of mug money backing England <laughs> in the last hour or two before the match. Yeah, okay. Almost certainly. Um, so part of the opportunity is shaped by um, what unfolds in front of you at that particular moment in time. All I can tell you at the moment is that it's going to be a huge market. Turnover will be massive. It's in a European-friendly time zone, so that will add to liquidity. So I, there will probably be good opportunities there this year. But what those opportunities will be, I have no idea at this moment. So let's talk about Bet Angel. And I guess just generally, pretty quickly, take us through 
why you started it and, and what problem you were looking to solve. Yeah, the issue that I had when I first started was that there were there was rudimentary software around that would allow you to do wonderful things like click on a button and it would place a bet. You know, that was like revolutionary. And um, the problem that I had was having done a lot of work in financial markets, I felt that what we really needed was a platform that allowed you to trade sports markets just like financials. And that didn't exist. And I approached quite a few people, but they were hugely skeptical that it made any sense whatsoever. And I did a presentation in London one day, and one of the guys in the audience understood what I was trying to say, approached me, and Bet Angel was born. And both uh, him and I had worked in financial markets in some capacity or another. And as a consequence, we decided that what we would do is to create a product that was able to do all of the things that we wanted. But the problem that we had is he was still in a contract with somebody else. And we decided that the solution to that was to make it a, a public product. And we would use the subscri subscriptions to fund his exit from a normal job and take things from there. But we couldn't have anticipated just how well everything was going to go. And um, and there was probably no need to ever release it commercially, but that happened. The API marketplace developed behind it. And now you have a whole range of solutions that uh, you can choose uh, to do a variety of different things on the exchanges. So it's, you know, it, I think it was a good decision. We made the decision on the basis that there was stuff that we needed to do that we couldn't do with existing software. And ever since then, we've continually upgraded uh, BetAngel to be the latest, greatest uh, piece of kit that you can use on the exchanges. Do you remember what the first feature was that you wanted? And I guess maybe the most recent feature, just to get an understanding of how far it's come. Yeah, the, the very first thing that I introduced was the concept of stop losses and fill or kill orders. And um, we had a very basic first version. I, I've kept screenshots and version numbers uh, of all of them just for a laugh, really, I suppose, more than anything. It's interesting to see how it's evolved. And I just wanted the ability for orders to cancel themselves if they weren't filled. That was the very, very first thing that we put into BetAngel. Uh, the very latest version, we're on version 50 now, unbelievably. Wow. It, yeah, it's incredible. We, we first um, started using it in 2004, so it's, it's uh, very well developed now. But the latest uh, feature that we're about to release, we've introduced a number of enhancements, but we focused some new releases that you'll see in a couple of weeks' time on the automation side of things. So. With BetAngel, you can trade manually, um, automatically through a spreadsheet, and you can do a combination of all the above as well. So we have neat little things called servants, which take highly repetitive routines, but you can apply them manually to the market. And the latest version of BetAngel builds on that. It'll be the, the most advanced version of the product that we've created today. So we have a lot of customers using it to trade manually. Um, but we also have a lot of customers using it to trade completely uh, automated algorithms now. And it's developed far, far beyond what we would have ever imagined. And that's sort of being driven by the market, but also by our customers that use it as well. Tell me about Soccer Mystic and who finds the most value in that? Yeah, we, we, it's, it's interesting actually because BetAngel is a reflection of, of our journey through the market as well. And uh, we have two tools that stand out that are unusual that you don't see anywhere else. And one of them is Soccer Mystic and the other is Tennis Trader, but both of them are modeling tools. And the idea is that 
rather than letting the market unfold in front of you, you can actually uh, model the market. So you can say, well, okay, if this team is going to be 10 nil up after 65 minutes, uh, how, how is the market going to look? And as the match progresses, you can sort of say, well, okay, I think a goal is likely to occur within this window. How's that going to affect the odds? And then you can take a position in front of that and, and profit from it. But we also do the same on Tennis Trader. Tennis Trader works exactly the same way. You can say if uh, this tennis player is a break and a setup um, and it looks like he's about to be broken, what are the odds likely to be? So those tools give you a lot of valuable insight into where the odds are likely to, to be at some point in the future. And obviously, that's what you need if you're going to trade it profitably. So how do you suggest people get involved with something like BetAngel if it seems like a daunting task to try and you know understand all the different features i believe there's a practice mode or a trial mode that they can they can use in the beginning is that is that right that's correct well we've actually got three products we've got bet angel basic which is completely free but that's quite as the name suggests a basic product it just allows you to speed up some of the stuff that you do uh, then we have a product called bet angel trader which is um, a much more advanced tool it gives you access to different interfaces and allows you to do some clever things and then we've got Bet Angel Professional, which, as the name suggests, is at the top of that list, which is all singing, all dancing, um, will do pretty much anything that you want it to, and it's very highly configurable. But we realize that people may not want to go to that one first. So Bet Angel Trader is a much cheaper version of Bet Angel, but missing some of the more complex features. But you can use Bet Angel Trader and Professional both in practice mode. So you can just. Uh, let rip, do all of the uh, playing around that you wish without any fear of doing any damage to your bank. That's very cool, very cool. So uh, you mentioned before that you'd spent some time uh, in the US and, and you mentioned about the sort of the internet age. What is your thoughts or, or feelings on what would happen if a market like the US opened up and you had exchange trading? Uh, what impact would that have on you, I guess, personally and also the market generally? If uh, the US opened up, uh, which I hope it would do, because I think that good legislation is much better than no legislation at all, is, is my general view. I've expressed this when I've been in the US before. And um, if the US did open up, then obviously liquidity would balloon, and I'd probably be on the first plane over with the family. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would start life all over again. Um, and I sort of I'm a little bit skeptical as to whether that will happen properly or not, because it's the attitude varies from east to west coast to uh, mid-America in terms of gambling and legislation and the, the appropriateness of, of, of having a gambling market. But nonetheless, I think that if that did open up, you would see a huge jump in liquidity and I think there would be lots of opportunity because when I look at the market over there at the moment, I don't think it's particularly well-developed. Um, and I think that there's scope for a lot to happen there. And to be honest, I think with the advent of um, the internet, whether you want it to happen or not, it's happening. So um, it's better to make that happen on terms which you can dictate as opposed to uh, just letting it be a wild west, really. So, um, yeah, I think that um, it would be great if the US would open. And I've traveled all over the US and, and stayed in many different places. So I would enjoy it from that perspective as well. So a typical trader like yourself or others out there, are they using more than one trading platform or is something like Betfair enough to run your whole business? 
you can use any platform that you wish. Um, I tend to use the bigger ones simply because of the sort of scale at which I operate on. But there are many strategies that work really well on, on smaller platforms as well. So um, you can't necessarily exclude yourself from one or the other for some reason. And I actually have a personal preference for using all of them. If I find something that works well on one, then obviously I'll try and replicate it across others. And you can find that some strategies work well on low stakes and some don't, and some strategies work well on high stakes uh, and some don't. So you tend to find that there's an opportunity to deploy them somewhere. You just have to work out where, where that place is. So one last question for you, Peter. You mentioned before your inspiration was Ed Thorpe, and one of my, most recently anyway, one of my favorite books is The Man for All Markets. Yeah. What other books or content assists your trading that you could sort of lead the, uh, the listener towards? Well, I think the thing that I've learned most um, over time is understanding the way that a market behaves is actually quite critical to being able to trade it effectively, whether it's a financial market or whether it's a sports market. So I've actually spent a lot of time um, reading books on psychology, and I've really enjoyed and thought it was a great book, was Thinking Fast and Slow um, by Daniel Kahneman. And um, that's was very formative in me developing strategies that I hadn't previously thought of because I didn't think that it made any sense. But within that book, it told me um, lots of things that uh, shouldn't happen but do because of the way that people act. So I've actually spent a lot of time uh, rather bizarrely. I've, I've looked at all of the statistics books and I've looked at trading books and so on. But I think that uh, a lot of the psych- psychology of trading is an area that has proved very fruitful for me. And it's like you could say to somebody, don't jump off the cliff because you'll die. And they will say, well, I'm going to anyway, uh, because you can't convince me any other way. And, and off they go. <laughs> and you're sort of thinking, huh? that doesn't make any sense. And I think you begin, the more you read up on that, the more you begin to see it in the markets. You begin to see people acting completely rationally for no sense whatsoever. And you almost feel guilty for exploiting that. Um, so I do very often go out of my way to tell people uh, what I think about certain things within the market, but I then brace myself for the, for the flack that I get in return. Have you found it difficult to distill some of those principles and apply it sort of actively to your trading or have you found that relatively simple? I think the more you do it and the more you come to terms with it, the easier you find it to be. Um, and as a consequence, I think that I quite enjoy that aspect of it now. I'm constantly reading, watching um, interviews and videos and trying to understand all of the different aspects and uh, type of people that are likely to be in the market so that I can make better, more confident decisions when that occurs. But I think if you've never done that before, it can be quite disconcerting because it feels really unusual to do. It's like when you're trading tennis, and usually the best position you can take within a tennis match is the moment in which it feels like it's the worst. If anyone's interested in reaching out to you, what's the best way? Is it Twitter? Is it the website? I know you have a lot of videos on YouTube that I can certainly suggest that people go and check out. Uh, What's the best contact information? Yeah, I'm available on Twitter, which is um, at BetAngel. But obviously, um, there's a lot of information on the website, and we have a YouTube channel, which has got about 600 or so videos uh, detailing my thoughts and some of the trades that I've done. Uh, we also have a dedicated site called BetAngel TV, which uh, contains loads of videos. Um, we have the BetAngel Academy, 
which gives you a little bit more advanced tuition. But if you visit uh, betangel.com, we've also got a forum where me and um, thousands of other traders chat constantly all of the time. And I think if anybody wants to get in contact, um, that's probably the best place to start. Fantastic. Thank you, Peter. Congratulations on BetAngel and version 50. And I look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you very much. Residents of Australia can join Betfair by visiting betfair.com.au and please support this podcast by using promo code BOBPOD. Gamble responsibly.